not really sure the best place to tell you to go, to be honest with you, for our text this morning, because we are going to be all over the place. If I had to pick one, Psalm 27 is probably a good place to be, uh, and we'll get there eventually, but it's going to be a few minutes uh, before we... Before we get there, so Psalm 27, I suppose, and we'll come back to that here in just a minute. Happy New Year's Eve, as I said. Thanks for being here this morning on this day, the cusp of a new year. Uh, This is a sermon that many a pastor will will have someone else jump in. Uh, Maybe most pastors would have someone else preach for them on this Sunday. The Christmas season can be a bit of a bear for a uh, a church staff, and it's normal to kind of step back and let someone else jump up here and teach on this Sunday. Uh, but this is one of my favorite Sundays to teach every year. The, the, the sermon right here, right after Christmas, right around the new year. I love to be able to do that. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that at one point I used to like lecture you about the need for New Year's resolutions because nobody uh, here at Providence made them. Uh, and what I have found is that had no effect. Nobody ever changed. Nobody ever started making New Year's resolutions. And so I have stopped that just a little bit, uh, maybe just changed my focus uh, a little bit. I, I'm going to ask the question again because I do it every year. Who here has, it's, I mean, it's New Year's Eve. So like, unless your New Year's resolution is to stop procrastinating, you should have the New Year's resolutions already made. So who here has made some New Year's resolutions? Show of hands. This is worse participation than usual. There is nobody. You guys have all just like, I'm here. That's all you can ask of me. Uh, I got nothing else. Uh, No resolutions uh, for me. Um, I just feel like this Sunday is an important one. As we start the new year, I feel like this time of year uh, is always one where I get a little bit uh, self-reflective, kind of look back on what has happened in the year, what I've done well, what I have not done well. Uh, Maybe for you, it's just another day on the calendar, but for me, it's an important time of year, and so I try to kind of bring that to you just just a little bit. I've told you recently about some of Isaiah's robotics tournaments uh, in a few of my recent sermons. Uh, I think there's there's just because there's a lot of sermon prep that happens at these tournaments because they're so boring for so long, uh, except for when they're not, for the few minutes where they're not, and and they're actually out there uh, competing. But whenever you're there, there's a lot of people watching because you're just sitting there waiting. And so there's a lot of people watching. And I know you guys that aren't people watchers think that us that are people watchers are creepy. We're not creepy. We're observant. And there is a fine line between the two, but they're not the same thing. And so you sit there and you just watch people as they are going about their thing and, uh, and doing their thing. And a few weeks ago, I was sitting there in a tournament. And I looked over at, at a kid. Uh, he's probably like 11, 12 years old. Looked over at this, uh, at this kid. Uh, and he had an iPhone in his hand, and he was just like, just sitting there, tossing it up and down, just like not really paying attention, kind of dropping it. Like, kind of he was not showing off for anybody. He was not. He was completely by himself, off to the side, just waiting until whatever the next thing that's supposed to happen at this tournament. Just, just tossing it up and down, and with every toss. Like, I could feel my anxiety level just, like, rising. Now, he was completely oblivious to me watching him, but he's just sitting there tossing this thing up, throwing it a little bit higher every time. Uh, and the higher the phone went, the higher my anxiety went. And I'm just like, what is this kid doing? I was just sitting there thinking, and, and I guess because this was just a couple weeks ago, so we're right in the middle of Christmas and buying presents for, for our kids and everything. And, and I was thinking, this was probably a Christmas present for this kid last year. 
this was probably something that he got like last year for Christmas and was like, oh, this is amazing, maybe a birthday present. Whatever it was, at some point, it was almost certainly a gift that was given to, uh, to him. And he was probably blown away about how great this was, how amazing it was that he got this thing. And now here in the boredom of the moment, he was just kind of casually tossing this phone up and down, up and down, up and down, with no regard for the gift that he had been given, what was in his hand. And it felt so apt for the moment that we are in now, not just a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, I was incredibly like offended that this kid would be doing this, this kid that I don't know and had no idea he was going to be a sermon application this morning. Uh, but, but for the moment we're in now, this side of Christmas, the other side of Christmas, gifts are open Uh, Most of the feasts have been feasted at this point. Uh, Dads have cleaned up the wrapping paper. Some gifts have already been returned. Like, this is where we are. We're already asking the question, that was it? Like, that was everything? We're we're done already? We're we're, we're done with this? Is, Is it all this fuss and it's already over? I spent all my time waiting for that. We've talked about waiting like endlessly for the last six weeks, and this is what I was waiting for. Even if you got everything you wanted and everything was just perfect, we inevitably are left with this feeling of emptiness and maybe just like a little bit of dread that is there, this subtle realization that even when you get everything you want, when everything is perfect, it still isn't quite enough. still isn't exactly what you hoped you would get. Or maybe yours wasn't perfect. Maybe yours wasn't perfect at all. Family was sick. Gifts were too expensive and out of reach. And so the kids didn't get what they wanted. They missed out what they had hoped for. You didn't get what you wanted. You overcooked dinner and everybody had to eat something that was dry and kind of choked down a a dinner that nobody wanted. And you were left asking, is this what I was supposed to be waiting for? Because if this is what I was waiting for, I have wasted my time waiting for this. Or maybe your question isn't directly one of dissatisfaction where you're saying this is it. More of a a, a subtle nudge of your heart that says, okay, now what? That was great. That was fun. I enjoyed that. That was good. But now what? It's not that you didn't love the last few weeks. You did. But what's next? What is the next thing? Always ready to move on to the next thing. The waiting is over and now it's time to move on. Or maybe you don't want to move on at all. You just want the world to stop and stand still because you want to hang on to this moment forever. And the worst thing you can imagine is moving on because your only source of satisfaction is in some fleeting moment that you can't seem to wrap your hands around and hold on to tightly enough. And if you're not asking these questions, you probably will. Give it a few more days, maybe another week or two, you probably will. And if you haven't caught on here, there's always an, or maybe, around the corner. There's always something around the corner that makes us stop and be like, well, I think there's got to be something else here. There's got to be something more here. There's always got to be something. There's always something that will nag at us, that will pull at us, that will make us feel like there's, there's something else out there. If we would just move on, or if we would just stand still, if we get all the right stuff, or if we check all the right boxes. And if we aren't careful, that's what this day, this season can become of starting a new year. 
tossing out our shiny, uh, our to- tossing our shiny new gift in the air that we got, our new phone that we've got, which by the way, there's no phone in here. There's no way I would do that. That was just the case. But we're, we're tossing it up in the air and, and just kind of like f- forgotten the, the, the joy or the appreciation that we had that was there. Mindlessly wondering what else there is out there. Anxious to find new boxes to check, new goals to achieve, new resolutions to make. Maybe not this crowd, but some of us new resolutions to make, new things to do. And all of that is to try and find that elusive, the answer to that elusive question. Is this it? Is this all that we have to look forward to? Is this all that we have been waiting for? And I'll tell you, I have no interest this morning in helping you make those lists or resolutions. I have no interest in making you, helping you make those resolutions that substitute as a, as a poor, uh, a, a poor stand-in for that thing that is supposed to make us happy with ourselves. They are useless whenever it comes to that, even though that is exactly what we use so many of our goals and our what's next questions for. Even if you achieve them, you, they, they, they will not do what you think they will. I've got much bigger goals for us this morning and for this month. And so we'll talk about a lot of those as this goes. So I, I have a bit of an ambitious goal. I told you just a few minutes ago, I want to close out one sermon series, our series Come Lord Jesus. And I want to launch our next sermon series. It's going to be called Finding Rhythm. And so what I want to do is I want to move from one to the next. Now, typically, we close one down on one Sunday, start another one the next Sunday. We'll get back to Luke uh, here in just, just a few weeks. Don't worry, we haven't forgotten about the book of Luke. But I want to move from one to the other, all in one sermon, because I think the two will, will kind of dovetail nicely for us as we look towards 2024. Our, ser- our series we've been in Advent is called Come Lord Jesus, and the goal has been to look at how the first coming of Jesus, the one uh, that, that we celebrate on Christmas Day, the one that we uh, build and build and build toward, the one that demands all of our attention, that changes the, the music we listen to, that changes the shows that we watch, that changes the food that we eat, <coughs> that changes everything about us uh, for, for about a month or so, that one that demands everything, the one that the Gospels teach us all about, the coming of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, what we've been doing is, is, is looking at, at how that first coming should cause us to look towards a second coming, that what he establish, establishes and begins in the first advent will find its completion and its, uh, and its fulfillment in the second coming. That's what this entire month has been about, looking at those uh, two things, and, and that as the, uh, the, the, the characters in the Old Testament look forward to the first coming, as those characters in that first Christmas story of, 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 of Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and uh, Simeon and Anna, as they look to the first coming of the Messiah, now we, like them, look towards the second coming of the Messiah as he finishes what he started the first time that he came. My hope is that I have at least tapped into the wealth of what the Bible teaches us about what to look for, what to long for, what to hope for as we continue to look toward Jesus. And I want to revisit that theme one more time uh, this morning, but I want to push us forward just a bit into this next series called Finding Rhythm, Pursuing the Paradox of Faithful 
living. And here's, here's my hope with this new series, is that as we start off this new year, that we will find our rhythm as individuals and as a church. That we kind of collectively hit reset, and then we uh, find our step and begin walking in stride again. Find our rhythm. You see, the Christian life is not nearly as complicated as what we like to make it. It is not nearly as complicated. There's endless books about the way certain things are supposed to be done and the way church is supposed to be done. It's not nearly as complicated as we like to make it. And here's what I would say. We overcomplicate the process of the Christian life, but we underappreciate the rhythm of the Christian life. I'll say that again. We overcomplicate the process of the Christian life, but we underappreciate the rhythm of the Christian life. And here's what I, I mean. I tell you this every year, and I will never stop telling you this because I completely believe it. The Bible knows nothing of the word balance. The Bible knows nothing of the word balance. It is a common uh, theme this time of year that people say that they want to try to find balance in their life again. They look back over the course of the last year and they say, my life got out of whack here, it got out of whack there. I just want to find balance in my life again. So like if they've let themselves go physically, they say they need to get back in the gym. If they've spent too much time or effort in one place, like at work, then they decide they want to make family a priority. They want to even things out. They want to find balance. And so they, 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 they say where they've spent too little time, they want to spend more time. Where they spend too, uh, too much time, they want to spend less time. And they try to find this, uh, th- this balance. And they've, uh, they, they kind of try to pick their pace back up in places where they have slack. This is why Bible reading plans are so popular to start tomorrow. Because people get to this time of year and they realize, oh, I haven't been devotionally where I want to be. I haven't been reading the Bible I'm going to start a Bible reading plan because I need to kind of even that back out. Where I've slacked before, I need to jump back in. So people want to get back in the Bible. And one word they use for this is balance. But the Christian life is not about balance. If you want to find balance in your life, you are not doing anything that Jesus has called you to do. That is a narrative that our culture has put forward to us because it seems to help us make sense out of the chaos that our life brings us. That if we can find balance, the chaos will come to a minimum. Jesus never says, come follow me and find balance. Jesus says, come follow me and die. That is not balanced. I do not want you to find balance in this new year. What Jesus does, however, call us to, and what the Bible over and over illustrates, both in object lesson and in its teaching, is this idea of rhythm. And I'll show you what I mean in a minute by taking like one small thing that we've been talking about. And my goal is, over the course of this month, that I show you how rhythm is a part of the Christian life, and it's one that we miss so frequently when we start talking about what it means to be a disciple. So we'll get to that here in just a minute, and we're going to talk about this idea of waiting and how that fits into rhythm. And I do not ask for you to find balance, but rhythm. But more on that in a a minute. So rhythm is this absolute 
uh, essential to the Christian life. It allows us to do all the things, and my, my goal here is not to get you to do things, but just hang with me for a minute. Rhythm is an absolute essential to the Christian life. It allows us to do all the things that God calls us to do without feeling like we have to do all those things all the time. It allows us to, to go full bore, not balanced, but all in, completely committed. Because balance, here's the thing about this word balance that is so popular. Balance tends to mean half in, half out. Like I can commit to a certain level, but I can't overcommit. I can commit to a certain level, but once I get to that certain level, that's too much. I got to back off. And so we kind of get into this dance of how much is too much, how little is too little. And that's why balance gets us, gets us in a wrong place, gets us in, a, in, in the wrong place in our Christian life. We don't want half in, half out. We want all in, all the time. And after a lot of prayer and a lot of consideration of where I am personally, where we are as a church, where God is calling me to, and I think where God is calling us to as a church, what I want out of this series, the next 31 days, the month of January, is that we do just this. We find a reset to find our rhythm. This is how the Christian life works. We are fully committed to following Jesus, but in that, there are natural rhythms that are built in, and those are crucial to our spiritual health. Now, the Bible gives us those, those rhythms so that we can... We, they don't even seem like that's what they, they, they are at all. In fact, whenever you read them in the Bible, they can seem like they are complete contradictions. That's where this idea of the paradox of our faith comes in. I am getting way ahead of myself. I'm like, 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 like 15 minutes into this sermon, and I've not even read a, read a verse yet. So I'm dancing around things just a little bit because I want you to get an idea of, of where you're going. So I'll, here's what I'm going to do. Let's jump in a little bit, and I'm going to show you what I mean. All right, and then I'll come back to this idea, and I'll illustrate it just, just a little bit more. We have spent the last, I don't know, about six weeks or so talking about this idea of waiting, that we are all, as God's people, awaiting people. Remember, we said that Thanksgiving weekend, we said that, that we are, as God's people, awaiting people. Over and over again, we have hit this idea. We sang this morning, we wait, we wait, we wait for you, we wait, we wait, we wait. We've said that so many times. That has been the word that we have looked at. That is what Advent is for, is to teach us to be awaiting people. Helps us to do that. We have said this is a very necessary part of our faith. And part of the reason we have spent so much time and continue to spend so much time on this idea is because it is so counterintuitive to our culture. Our culture is built on speed, productivity, efficiency. The idea of waiting is not just, uh, not just repulsive to us. It's totally unnatural to us. And yet the Bible calls, it, calls us to do it over and over again. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read you a couple of verses that should sound familiar if you've been here for the last month or so. Proverbs 20, 22. Uh, Don't say, I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. Isaiah 26, 8. This is inscribed on my, uh, my wedding ring. Yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Our desire is for your name and your renown. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. 
Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. Psalm 135 through 6, I will put... I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for for the morning. Listen, I could do this for the next hour. Just read verses that talk about waiting on God. I could take us all the way up to lunch just talking about verses that implore us to wait on God. Over and over and over we are told to wait. We've driven this idea home. But all of these waiting verses talk about this in, in a way that is an expectant waiting. This is, not, this is not sitting around mindlessly, throwing our toys in the air, throwing our phones in the air uh, until our name is called. There is an expectancy, a, a hope, even a joy that comes with it. When we cry, come Lord Jesus, there is a desperation in our voice, but there is also an unrelenting joy in the hope that that cry brings because we know that he will indeed come one day. And that's where rhythm becomes so important in our Christian walk. Because sometimes we can get stuck in one place, one idea, one mindset. And then we can miss out on a whole part of the Christian walk that is necessary for us to experience the full experience of life that he has for us. This is why it is so important because What I do not want us to be is a people that are stuck. Now, I'm not saying that life suddenly becomes this amusement park where we're just supposed to move on past the ugliness that this fallen world can bring. What I am saying is that there is a way that we are called to walk in this world, not just sit and wait in this world. Here's what I mean. I want you to come back with me through a few more verses here. As much as the Bible calls us to slow down, to look up, and to wait, it also tells us there are other things that we should do too. I read from Psalm 27 as a part of those verses just a second ago. I read verses 13 and 14. Now listen to verses 7 through 9 in that same Psalm, Psalm 27. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. So this is the question that is prompted. Which is it? How do we see and know God's goodness? Is it by waiting for him? Or is it by seeking him? Which one is it? Same psalm calls us to two very different actions. One, it says to wait. One, it says to seek. How is this possible? Is it simply that our waiting is not passive, but active? That absolutely could be it. That could be a big part of it. The way we wait on God isn't like a cruise ship where we sit back and wait to arrive at our destination, entertained along the way. That is not how we are called to wait on God. It's more like an aircraft carrier, or I actually like the analogy of a pirate ship, just a little bit better. Everyone has a job to make sure everyone else makes it to the destination together. And we're all on mission to make sure that that happens. Not a cruise ship, but a pirate ship. 
Everybody has to work together in order to get there. If we are going to make it to harbor, if we're going to make it to the port, for sure you are not going to be sitting back. You got one up in the crow's nest that is looking for land. You got a whole, you got a whole group of other pirates that are trying to raise the sails. You got others that have got to swab the deck. You got all of that happening as you are waiting to make it into port. Do you see the difference in these two actions? One is a cruise ship where you are entertained and you are brought what you need. The other is where you actively are pursuing something, seeking something, even as you wait to arrive in to dock. I think that that is part of the issue here. But I think there's more to it even than that. Listen to these verses in comparison to all those that I read about waiting just a few minutes ago and see how how it feels just a little bit different. Let's go back to Luke 12, where we left out in our previous series. I'm going to read this whole little section of teaching that Jesus has here. And I want you to hear especially how Jesus ends this. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, uh, this is Luke 12, 22. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one, move, one moment uh, to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin or thread or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is, the, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows what you need. And then in verse 31, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, make money banks for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are not to wait with an anxious, in this anxious state for God to show up. In our waiting, we are to be a people that seek his kingdom. And it's in our seeking that God provides for us. Do you, do you see how that works? It's in our seeking that he provides for us. Not an anxious waiting, but as we seek his kingdom, he then adds all these things to us. There is a time and a place and a way of waiting. And there is a time and a place and a way of seeking. And the two do not work against each other, but they work hand in hand with one another. Colossians, I'm just going to read you a bunch of verses. I'm going to read you a whole bunch of verses. So just get ready. And I just want you to hear how different these sound than the other verses that I read for you. Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here we are. This is looking forward to the second coming. And how are we to do that? By seeking the things above. Not in a passive waiting. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Listen closely to wisdom and direct your heart towards understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, seek and search, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Romans 12, 9 through 18. This is just going to be like a, like, a, like a barrage of things for us to do. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in, in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Boom, 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 boom. All of these things over and over and over. Love one another. Take honor and in, in show or, or take the lead in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent. Rejoice. Share. Bless. Rejoice. Weep. Just one thing after another. It calls us to go and do these things. To go and participate in these things. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue. So flee and then pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. That doesn't sound like waiting at all, does it? Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. None of that sounds much like waiting. So how do we reconcile these two things? What we have been reading for the last six weeks about us being awaiting people, and yet you have this just army of verses that say, do this, do this, do this, fight, get after it, pursue, do all of these things. Seemingly one contradiction after another. How do we reconcile this paradox of our faith? And here's the answer. We don't. We don't reconcile this at all because they aren't contradictions. They work together. They are a part of the same walk. There is a cadence here that we are called to. Sometimes we wait actively, but we wait. Sometimes we pursue. Sometimes waiting itself is an act of pursuing, but there is a rhythm in the Christian life in how this works. Sometimes we wait. Sometimes we pursue. It's when we get stuck that things go sideways for us in our faith. 
And sometimes we get stuck because life kicks us in the teeth and knocks us down for a while. You, you ever been in, in a crowd? You ever, you ever been like walking in a crowd, someone cuts like right in front of you? Like they just cut right, like just, you're, you're walking, you just got your pace, you're doing good, you, you've got a steady pace, somebody, and then you're just like, like, like somebody cuts you off and you have to stop and you lose the cadence of your walk, right? Now, sometimes, depending on how much they interrupted you, you can quickly kind of refine your cadence and you can get going again. But sometimes, whenever somebody cuts you off, whenever something comes right in front of you, there's only one way that you can, can find your cadence again whenever that happens. You have to be walking, someone cuts you off, and you have to stop, regather, reset, and then take a step again and start walking, right? That's the only way to find your rhythm again. If you try to keep, if you try to like, like, like keep going while they're in front of you, like you're going to keep, you're, you're going to be off for a little while until you can kind of try to get it back. This is the same way it works for us in our Christian life is that we can stumble and we can get thrown off track and you can expend all kinds of energy to get the, the rhythm back that you were in. Or you can stop, bring your feet together, take a breath, and then you take the next step. You reset. Sometimes we get stuck because we get kicked in the teeth and we get knocked over. Sometimes we get stuck because we're just lazy. And we just stop walking. And we're not moving, we're not going anywhere. Sometimes we get stuck because it's easier to wait on a cruise ship than it is to work on a pirate ship. If we're going to get to the same place anyway, what does it matter? What does it matter the way that I wait? It matters because that is the mission that we have been called to. So here's what I want you to see this morning. We're going to talk about all kinds of different ways that things that seem like they are contradictions, that seem like they are, are, are two opposite things, God calls us to both of those things as a part of our Christian walk. That's what we're going to do over the course of the next month. We're going to see how God calls us to two things that seem to be opposite, but actually work together. But here's what I'm going to call us to this morning. I am not here to give you a checklist or a bunch of checklists. Not my goal, not my bag, not my thing. If you need that, go find a personal trainer. They can set goals for you. That's not what I want to do. I'm not even here to push you to read your Bible and to do more quiet times, though you should and I hope you will. I think that would be great if you wanted to start a reading plan. Here's what I'm calling us to as a church to start this new year. I'm calling us to stop, gather our feet under us, reset, and be prepared to take another step whenever God says, all right, let's walk. That's what I'm calling us to collectively as a church, to reset and find our rhythm again. Sin, suffering, pandemics, politics, financial problems, health problems, distracted and overfilled lives, on and on I can go. All of those things have caused most of us to lose our step over the last few years, to get off kilter, to find a way to get where we have been stuck in the same place, 
We've not been walking the Christian walk. We've been stuck and feeling like we're going nowhere. The best way for us to to find our step again is to stop and reset and start walking again. And for some of you, that is all that I want. That is all I am asking of you, to find your step again, to find a way to take a step. Maybe it's a bit slower, a bit of a, of a slower rhythm. Maybe it's a different beat than the one you had before. But find your rhythm again. For others, it might be time for you to take that walk and turn it into a run. Maybe literally, but I'm, I'm talking about spiritually here. And if that's you, good. We need you more than ever here at Providence right now. But let's do this together in step. This year is an election year, and for all the world, it looks like we're going to have plenty of things to knock us uh, off step. And that's just what we can see on the horizon. And I think we're all old enough now, wise enough now, experienced enough now to know that this, the, the, the stuff that you can see coming might, might be bad, but it's the stuff you can't see coming that will really knock you down. But you know what your best way to find rhythm again is? The best way to find your step again? The best way to, to, to kind of start getting after it again, to, to take that first step? Do you know what the best way to do that is? It's when others around you are already in rhythm and you can just join in with them. Or when you can all start walking together. It can be hard to find rhythm when you're own, on your own. But when everybody else is walking in step, it's so much easier for you to fall into step with them. So much easier for you to start walking with them. So I'm going to close in prayer this morning. The band's going to come. We're going to sing a song. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And then when I come back up for the prayer time, I'm going to explain a little bit more about what that's going to look like for us as a church as we start this year. I'm going to explain a little bit more about what's involved And what I will be asking you to do and us to do corporately to gather our feet and take another step. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have not not left us to to simply wait in a way that that causes us to be passive and causes us to be um, somewhat, somewhat hopeless in that we can't we, we, we have nothing to do, but instead you call us to twin realities, to, to wait and to pursue, to, to, to sit back and to, to seek out. And I pray that you would help us find the rhythm of that, what that looks like for us to wait and then walk, and then wait and then walk, and to, and to, to, to find what that looks like for us in our Christian life. Father, I pray for the people of Providence Church that we would be able to do this together. That This would not be something we do individually, but this would be something we do together as a body. And that you would walk with us as we do this. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.